Good morning. Let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing, Standing on the Promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. I sing. this morning. Beautiful morning to come and be in God's house. Amen. Uh, there are folks who say, well, it's too rainy to go to church today, or maybe it's too snowy, or maybe it's too cold, or maybe it's too sunny. And my perspective is any day is a beautiful day to come and worship the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Thank you so much for coming. Father in heaven, as we come before you, Lord, we honor you and exalt you and thank you. Lord, you have given us a beautiful place to live, a beautiful place to worship. And Lord, you've given us wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ to worship with. Most importantly, you have given us Christ. That hope of eternity that rests upon his sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we thank you. And I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we pray, as we sing. As we look into your scriptures, I ask that you administer to our hearts and souls. Help us to lift you up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, no. 
Sunday morning Bible hour and quite a few on Sunday night, but we're going to teach it to you this morning. So let's lift up our voices as we sing. Lift high the name of Jesus. Lift high the name of Jesus, of Jesus our King. Make known the power
As he was singing this, this song here, I was thinking back to uh, 15 years ago when we hired John. I, uh, I was at a preacher's, I, I'm, I'm on a missions committee for BBFI International Missions. I was at a meeting out west and um, one of the directors for the missions organization uh, it was his uncle. And I, I was talking to his uncle and I told him, I said, well, I've got to find a guy to come and work with the youth and with music. And he said, well, you know what? I've got a nephew graduating out of college. I don't know where he's going. And so he connected me with John and John said to me, well, I'm not a music major. He said, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not what I do. I said, well, yeah, but you can learn it. He said, yeah, I can play the piano. He said, my dad was a song leader. You know, we talked through all that. He's done a great job, phenomenal job. And to boot, he brought his wife. That was great, great. Although they weren't even married when we hired him, they uh, got married and came here. It's the first place they ever lived. Um, I would like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. Last Sunday was Mother's Day. Amen? How many of you remember last Sunday? There's a lot of you that have already forgotten last Sunday. Wow. So I told you we're going to do a series between Mother's Day and Father's Day. There's six weeks, if you count that day, Mother's Day, and you count Father's Day, there's four weeks in between, six weeks total. So we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, and every Sunday from Mother's Day through to Father's Day, we're going to cover this text because this text talks about family, relationship, interaction with people, and we're just going to look at all those aspects. Last Sunday, we started with the basics, and I had two points last Sunday. One was women or wives, and the other one was, anybody remember? Husbands or men, about five of you remembered that. And I thought if I gave you the hint about women and wives, you'd have automatically got the second one. But we're starting a little slow this morning, aren't we? So I'm going to have to maybe prompt you more and more. How many of you ever remember the song, Head and Shoulders, Knees and Toes? Remember that song? So if you don't start picking it up, we're all going to do Head and Shoulders, Knees and Toes. Uh, and you want to be careful about that because... I remember years and years ago, back when we were younger than John, uh, I was the associate pastor at Temple Baptist Church in West Bridgewater, Mass. And Sandy was working in junior church, and she had the kids do head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, knees and toes. And a kid actually hit his face on the chair in front of him. He just went, bam! 
that's why I don't do it here, because I always <laughs> don't, but that's just fair warning. It's even a dangerous song. First Peter chapter three, last week we looked at husbands, wives, uh, and the beginning of the family. We went all the way back to Genesis. We looked at God's creation, his creating, creating men and women, creating the family, and that launches us. And I'm going to read to you 1 Peter 3. I'm going to read down verses 1 through 7 that we looked at last week. But this morning, our focus is going to be on verses 8 and 9. And the title for this morning's message is Reaching for Mutual Care. Let's all say that together. Reaching for Mutual Care. That's a real part of any relationship marriage, even a friendship. Amen? So let's, I'm going to read to you 1 Peter chapter 3, verses right down through to verse 9. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold their chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart of that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look at verses 8 and 9 this morning, as we contemplate and consider mutual care one for another, I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit that helps us to have stronger relationships, stronger marriages, stronger friendships, stronger connection between parents and children and neighbors and friends and co-workers. Help us to take your biblical principles as given to us, be more than hearers but doers of your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As we come to verse 8, I want you to notice that very first word in verse 8. Let's all say that word together. Finally. Say it one more time with me. Finally. Because we have a tendency to think when a preacher gets up and he says, and finally, you think he's getting ready to wrap it up, don't you? No, for a lot of preachers, they're just getting started when they hit the finally. And it's the same thing within this text. As this book is being written, and as we come to verse 8, and he says to us, finally, he's not getting ready to conclude. What he's doing is he's connecting the past writing, which we looked at last Sunday. He's connecting it to what he's getting ready to say, and he's bringing it all together. And so this morning, as I read finally, I don't want to give the impression that I'm getting ready to wrap it up because I'm just getting started. So as you look at verse 8 there, he says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are there unto call, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days. And remember, that's the theme of our whole series. He that loves life 
and wants to see good days. In verses 8 and 9, if you want to love life and see good days, we've got to start out by coming from the heart. And that's what he's going to talk about in verse 8. Because he's going to talk to you and I about reaching out with mutual care one to another. And that has to come from the heart. In order for you to care for your spouse, for your children, your friends, your neighbors, your church family, it's got to come from the heart. And so he starts out here in verse 8 and he says to us, be ye all of one mind. He's challenging us towards unity. He's challenging us to get together in fellowship. All us in the same ship, rowing in the same direction. And it's so critical in a relationship, isn't it? Especially in a family. For you to decide we are headed in the same direction and we're going to work together to get there. How many have ever tried to paddle a canoe with a friend? Not by yourself, but with somebody else. Somebody in the front and somebody in the back. You have to be synchronized, don't you? The guy up here has got to be doing his thing. The guy or gal in the back got to be doing their thing. And you guys have to work together. Because if you work against each other, you're just going to go in circles, aren't you? You're going nowhere. And there's so many marriages, there's so many relationships, there's so many friendships where they work at odds to one another instead of with one another. And what what happens when you're in a canoe and all of a sudden somebody starts working against the other person? You have to communicate, don't you? You have to speak up and say, wait, wait, we're working against each other here instead of with each other. And then you have to rectify, don't you? Same thing in a relationship. So when he says to us, he says to us, I want you to be of one mind. He's calling us to go ahead and be attentive to the fact that we need to work together and be united in our purpose, our heart, our goals, our objectives, our beliefs, our practices. Romans chapter 15 verse 5 says, Now the God of patience and consolation." Grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus. I love that verse because it reminds us of what is required to be of one mind. In a marriage, in a friendship, in a church, or whatever it is. Listen again to the verse. Romans 15, 5. Now the God of what? Patience. And the God of consolation. Grant you to be like-minded. Why does he say that? Because those things are required. In order for us to get together and row together, in order for us to have singleness of purpose and direction, we have to be patient with one another. In every relationship. Sandra, Joe, and I, when we got married, she was still 18 years old, I was 21 years old. And I know that's shocking and horrible to, to imagine an 18-year-old getting married, but it's worked out. It's okay. Did I want my kids to get married at 18? No. But it worked out for us. It was good. It gave me time to raise her before we got serious about life. Don't tell her I said that. But when we got married, we were absolutely a mixed marriage. She had grown up in Texas. I had grown up in Massachusetts. We're talking the South against the North. We're talking about a Yankee and a rebel in the truest sense of the word. So when we got married, all of a sudden we had to kind of come together in singleness of purpose. And you know what? It required some patience. Required some consolation. There were times when we had to really sit down and talk through it. Because there were things we didn't understand about each other. I grew up in a household where if, you, if, if my dad had come home and laid his clothes down on the floor, my mother would have lynched him. There's no way. You take care of your own clothes. She grew up in a home 
where her dad would come home and that was his mom's responsibility, her, I mean her mom's responsibility, and she loved him. She took care of the cooking, the cleaning, the clothes, she didn't work outside the house. So when I would come home from the machine shop or college, because I was doing nights in the machine shop and days in college, I'd come home, take off my work clothes, and I would put them in either the hamper, or if it was from college, I might rehang them up. And I had no idea that I was hurting her feelings every time I did that. I thought I was doing exactly what a husband was supposed to do. And she was wondering, why is he doing what I'm supposed to do? And you know, it took us several months for me to realize I literally was hurting her feelings every time I was doing that. Now she patiently worked through being offended every day. And I patiently worked through trying to understand why is she offended every day? But then we had to come to a place of consolation where we talked through and compromised and worked through the difference. And there's been many times we've had to do that on many occasions. Why? Because we're two different people coming to the same household for a lifetime. So when we look at this text and God says to us, be of one mind, he's casting forth a challenge. For you and I to reach out and ask God, God, give me the patience. Help me to have the consolation that I might be able to work together with this person, whether it's a co-worker, whether it be a church member, whether it be my spouse, whether it be me and my kids. God, help us to get on the same track together. But look down with me in verse 8 because he's going to show us another area from the heart that we need to work on that we might go ahead and find mutual care. He says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27 says, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. He's writing to the church. But do you know the interesting thing? The Bible, the New Testament teaches us that the marriage, the family, the home parallels the church. There's a real picture built into that. And so in this text, he's reminding us that whether it be the church or the family, when one member suffers, we suffer with them. When one member rejoices, we rejoice with them. So when he says to us, have compassion, he's saying that's a real part of relationships. That's, re that's a real part of your family, your home, your relationship. And, and even beyond that, even your friends, your coworkers, your church family, having compassion. When they struggle, when they suffer, you suffer with them just a little bit, just enough to care. It's shocking sometimes how little people care nowadays. Whether it be in their relationships, in their home, their co-workers, their community. You know the Bible teaches us, do not rejoice when evil comes upon your enemy. Yet sometimes, shockingly, people rejoice when sorrow and evil even comes among their neighbors, their friends. God says that's not so. That should not happen. We should have compassion for one another. If anybody should have compassion, it should be a spouse. If anybody should have compassion, it should be a, a parent for a child or a child for a parent. There's just such a need in our lives to have compassion one for another. It feeds our soul to know that somebody else is touched by whatever battle I am facing. So he challenges us from the heart. Seek mutual care within your family, within your circle, within your relationships. Have compassion for one another. But look what he goes on to say, the third thing in verse 8 there, as we come from the heart. He says, be of one mind, have compassion one of another. And the third one he says, love as brethren. 
Now that's an interesting thing to bring home, to bring into our household between a husband and a wife or parents and their children or children and their parents for that broad statement to be there, love as brethren. But listen to 1 John 3 verses 18 and 19. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. He's saying, this is how we know that we really are of the truth and genuine and sincere in our hearts. When we show that love, that love of God within us towards others. It's important. It's important to show love one to another. Life can, life, life can ride you rough, can it? The other day I watched a little documentary about rodeo riding. I, I, lo I love to learn about all different weird things. Never in my lifetime, unless I'm taken captive and strapped to a bull, am I going to try to ride a bull? It's not going to happen. And I have cows. I mean, I've, I've gone out and I've thought, I wonder if I could ride that. No. You can't. But the interesting thing is, when you look at that rodeo, you look at that, that rough riding, whether it be the bucking bronco or the bucking bull, when you look at that taking place, you know that is a rough ride. Amen? Amen. Life is kind of that way. Life kicks and jumps and there are things that happen we never even see coming. And you know what? We need to know somebody loves us right through it. That we have somebody on our side. Yes, God is there. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But it's so important to know that our spouse loves us. Whether we're having a bad hair day or an amazing hair day. To know that our spouse loves us, whether we're sick as a dog or jumping on the trampoline. You know, to know that we have that person there that's on our side. They love us like a brother, is what he's saying here. I was talking to somebody here not too long ago. We were talking about newlywed love versus long love. Newlywed love is full of passion, fireworks. Woo! <laughs> but as the years go by, the love doesn't change, but the fireworks do. They just begin to alter just a tiny bit. They become a little different. But the love is still there. Now, the, the fireworks should never end. They just maybe are not as new and bright. But the love should never end. That love is something you foster and fan and keep going. Other times when it's tough, sure. You fan it all that much more. You work at it. You love one another through thick and thin, rich and poor. Health and non-health, whatever. You just love each other. It comes from the heart. It's mutual care for one another. It's a commitment. But look what he goes on to say in verse 8. Because we're going to come down here to number 4 in verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, and be pitiful. Now, interesting. Different word than, you, than you're thinking. You're thinking... I don't know that I want to be pitiful. That's because we kind of define pitiful as measly and problemed. You know, boy, you are pitiful. <laughs> Nobody wants that. But that's not at all what this means. This means you have pity for somebody else. It's very linked to compassion. Very similar in the Greek definition. It's very much a cousin in the same word. 
But pity is a little bit different than compassion. Compassion is strictly a feeling where pity sometimes is a feeling with action. And that you step in and do your best. You try to help in any way you can. Because you're, you, you have compassion, but you want to step up to that compassion. It's kind of like my, my daughter is truly the ultimate animal lover. I tease her. I tell her, man, Joy Elizabeth, you have more compassion for a stray dog than a lost human. She says, Dad, come on, that's not true. Listen, I wonder. I'm serious. <laughs> she has true compassion for every animal. And there have been literal times when she has been driving down the road, seen a wounded critter on the side of the road, get out of her car, put it in a box, and take it to a veterinarian. That's having pity, isn't it? Now, see, I have compassion. You know, I'll look and I'll say, oh, that poor... <laughs> I've got compassion. But there's no way I'm pulling over, putting that critter in a box and taking it to the veterinarian. Although I will tell you one time, I should, I should, I should qualify this. Sandra Joe and I were driving out in Addison and there was a hawk. Now, I'm... I guess there's levels of compassion. I saw this hawk on the side of the road, and it was just a young hawk, and it had gotten hit, and it was very much alert, but couldn't fly. And so Sandra Joe and I, we pulled over. Now I, know, I, I just realized where Joy got it. <laughs> pulled over, put the hawk in a blanket, took it to the veterinarian here in town, and they got it back to health and released it. Phew, now I don't blame Joy so much. <laughs> That's the difference between compassion and pity. I took pity upon that little hawk and brought it to the vet. You and I are called to be pitiful. Have compassion with action in your relationships. It's not enough to just care. You have to do something. When you see your spouse, when you see your kids, your parents, your friends, your neighbors, your church members, when you see them struggling in that rough ride of life, it's really not enough to just say, boy, I'm sorry. You really do need to say, is there anything I can do to help? Can I come by? Can I have prayer with you? Could I bring you a meal? Can I help you? And meet it. And meet it. And for you and I that are Yankees, and I grew up in the Northeast, I'm a Yankee to the bone. I fully get the idea, well, I don't want to ask for any help. I know that's the Yankee way. But you know what, Christian? We're more than a Yankee. We're a brother and sister in Christ. And sometimes it's good to look at somebody and say, thank you so much. Yes, I could use your prayers. Yes, it'd be wonderful if you could drop by a meal. Yes, absolutely, I could use some help. It's okay. It's okay. As we come down here in verse 8, look with me at verse 8. We're going to look at the last one in this coming from the heart. He says to us, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one with another, love his brethren, be pitiful. And the last one says, be courteous. Let's say that together. Be courteous. Now, courteous, wow, that's gone out of fashion, hasn't it? You walk up and you open the door for somebody and you wonder, are they going to be okay with this or not? I have been rebuked for opening the door for somebody before. So you question, can I be, can I be that gentleman? Can I be the courteous? But that doesn't mean that we have an excuse to not be courteous. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, and we are the elect of God if we have put our faith and trust in Him, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. All those things could be bundled up together and they could come to that word simply courteous.
going ahead and showing mercy, kindness, humbleness, meekness, being long-suffering, patient with one another. All of that is being courteous to one another. It's treating others even as we would want to be treated. Now that's an old New England saying, but it's actually a biblical text. So you and I, when we look into the scriptures, it should be that if we're going to come together as a family, if we're going to come together as a church, if we're going to come together as a community, these eight things he talks about that come from the heart should be a real part of who we strive to be. Of one mind, compassionate, loving, having pity, and courteous. But I told you there are two things we're going to look at. One is that seeking mutual care from the heart. But he gives to us in verse 9 some things we need to check at the door. Now in the old days, it was quite common if you went to certain places, they would have a hat check. Have any of you ever gone to a place where they have a hat check, a coat check? Very few of you, only... Only the real old timers like you. Yeah, no, I know you're very young. But it's rare today to have a hat check, a coat check. But it used to be that when you came to a place, you would go to the window, you would get a little chip, a little tag, and you'd turn your coat in, your hat in, and they would hold it for you. There were certain events you checked your hat and coat. There are some things as Christians that we need to check at the door. Leave them there. Don't bring them home. Let's look at what he talks about in verse 9. He says, now, uh, Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So he's talking to you and I about seeking mutual care in our relationship. Husband and wife, family, community, church. And he says, there are some things you need to go to the window and check at the door. And the first thing he says is that whole thing about rendering evil for evil. So if you hit the doorstep at your house, and you already have a head of steam, check it at the door. Don't bring it home. Don't bring it in. You say, well, pastor, you don't know what she did. Can it be all that different than all of us? There are crazy things that go on all the time in relationships. Well, you don't know what a kind of guy he is. Well, probably I do, but not fully. I get it. But if you're hitting the door with a full head of steam and you are ready to render evil for evil, check it at the door. You're not going to seek mutual care if already you're hitting the door ready to hit it. He's saying, no, do not render evil for evil. Look with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 17, if you would. I'm going to read to you verses 17 down through 21. Listen to what it says. Oh, Romans 12. Did I say 17? Yeah. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 down through 21. Listen to what it says. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. This is tremendous advice for you in your relationships. This is amazing advice for you in your marriage. You don't need to go far and wide to find good sound advice. You don't need to go ahead and fly from here to California to find out what will help your marriage. Just open your Bible. Because right here, he's telling you and I, do not render evil for evil. 
He's telling you and I here in Romans chapter 12, verses 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. If you think you're going to get one up on them, you are so wrong. Because there's always time for somebody to get one more up on you. And once you start it, it's real hard to stop. If you're not careful, the scriptures say you can devour each other. That's the exact wording. And people do that. They just bite, 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 until they consume each other and the relationship is destroyed. Here he tells us, render not evil for evil. He tells us, try not to recompense evil towards others. Provide things honest instead in the sight of all men. Oh, and I can hear it. I hear the response. Whoa, it, it is honest. They deserve it. Ah, do we all get what we deserve? I hope not. Because if we all got what we deserved, ooh, we would be in bad shape. It's only by the mercy of God that we enjoy the good lives we enjoy. It's only by the grace of God that we are able to live the lives we live. So sometimes it's really good to just step back and say, God, vengeance is yours. It is not mine. And I am not going to recompense evil for evil. Lord, help me to check it at the door and not bring it home. But he's going to take it a little farther. Because you might say to yourself, oh yeah, no, I'd, I'd never try to get vengeance against my wife or my kids or my kids against my parents. or I would never try to do any of that. So let's go back and let's look there in 1 Peter chapter 3. And let's look at verse 9 because he's going to bring it a little closer to home. He says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. So he's saying, not rendering railing for railing. And what railing is, is yelling. Yelling at each other. He says, you know, that is not going to help your relationship. That's not going to help your friendship. That's not going to help your church, your community, your workplace. In fact, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 says... A soft answer turneth away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright. The mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. That's a powerful visual statement. He's saying the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. And God says, do not render railing for railing. There's one thing you can never take back, and that is the things that you say. You can't suck them back in. Once they hit the ears of those around you, you can try to explain it away. You can apologize it away. You can try a million things, but you can't undo what you just said. And so God gives us some powerful, wise advice for our families and our relationships. He says, don't render railing for railing. Far better to give a soft answer. You and I, we have to work at that. That's not an easy thing. You have to lurk. It's called self-control. Self-control is a... It's a deep well to draw from. It takes some work to get the bucket to the top. But you know, it's worth the time and the effort, the energy put in to get some self-control, to step back. Listen, there's a lot of wisdom in counting to 10. Just, oh, wait a minute. I need to shut it off, count to 10, and think this over. So when we look at this advice he's giving us, he's teaching us how to seek that mutual care for one, for one another. He's saying there are things that need to come from the heart. Unity, compassion, love, having pity, being courteous. There are some things you've got to check at the door. 
no reason to render evil for evil. That is not going to help any relationship. And he's saying to us, stop railing at each other. You're going to accomplish nothing. But, look at the last part of verse 9, and it's the conclusion. It is the true wrap-up. Look at what he says. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. He says, be a blessing that you might receive a blessing. How many of us like to receive blessings? Most of us. Some of you are still dozing. We're getting ready for head and shoulders, knees and toes any second. Blessings are enjoyed by all. People want to have a blessing. They want to celebrate and rejoice and be loved and cared for. They want the blessing. And here he tells us in the last part of verse 9, he says, knowing that ye are thereunto called. He says, you and I are called to be blessed. That's what God wants for us. God has called your spouse to be blessed. You've been called to be blessed. Your children, your co-workers, your neighbors, your churchmates. God says, I've called you to be blessed. He doesn't want all the confusion, the chaos. He wants unity, peace. He wants, he wants love shown one to another. He wants some things checked at the door. He wants us to learn how to be a blessing to each other. That's why. We start off with the idea of mutual care. You see, in order to be a blessing and receive a blessing in a family, it takes mutual effort. One person can't make it all happen. Because if one is sucking the life out of the other, somebody's losing the blessing. It's a responsibility for both. Amen? Amen. It's a responsibility for both. In every relationship, Seeking to be and receive a blessing takes double effort. We have to choose. We have to say, I want to be a blessing. You might say to me, well, pastor, I don't know. I've been married a long time. Yeah? Does that take away the calling to be a blessing? No. Well, you don't understand. There's been a lot of water under the bridge. I get it doesn't make an excuse to stop being what you've been called to be. A blessing. You and I, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, for the block of time between Mother's Day and Father's Day, God wants us to see that, you know what? Loving life is a decision. And seeking good days takes effort. Between a husband and a wife, men and women, between any relationship, it requires purpose to love life and to seek good days. Do we want it or do we not? If we want it, then we ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Help me to be purposeful, to seek mutual care between my wife and I, my family, my community, my church. Help me, Lord. That all begins by having Christ in your heart and in your life. Pray for one another. Care for one another. As we go into another week that can be rough. It can be a rough ride, can it? We need to be there for one another. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. I think John's going to conclude, conclude us with a chorus. Lord, please be with us as we go forth. Give us safety. Help us to be more than hearers, but doers of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, Pastor, she says to remind about the cake. Oh, the yes. Don't forget, down in the fellowship hall, we have cake, lemonade, iced tea, little send-off for the butt-offs. We are very sad to see them move. We're going to miss them. Amen? Amen? It's not too late for them to change their minds. So you have, you have about an hour or so to work them over. Redeem how I love to proclaim it. Redeem by the blood of the Lamb.
beating through his infinite. 